Founders. This is J.R. Wilco with today's Unnecessary Foolishness. It's episode 43 of the Superfluous Poppycock podcast. Today I've got Marilyn Dubinsky, one of the writers of Pounding the Rock here with me, and we're going to be discussing some convoluted reasoning that goes into the understanding for a foundational platform of Spurs fandom right now. Hope you're ready. Why we don't need to be panicking, even though the team has only won two of the last 10 games. Marilyn, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I would be better if the team had a better record, but I'm doing just fine. Thank you for asking. I'm going to set the stage a little bit here. In the Western Conference, there's a few tiers of teams. Top tier, I think you'd put the Los Angeles Lakers, Houston Rockets, they're 10 and 2, 10 and 3. There's a little jump there. But then from the Nuggets to the Mavs, you've got, uh, well, actually, Nuggets to the Timberwolves, seeds three through eight currently. You've got six teams that are all separated by about two games Nuggets, Jazz, Suns, Clippers, Mavericks, Timberwolves. Then you've got the Grizzlies, the Thunder, and right there, along with the Blazers, who've had crazy struggles this year even though they have the highest payroll in the league, I understand. And the Kings, right there, about three games ahead of the woeful Nuggets. You've got that you got that, that Spurs team that we seem to uh, enjoy so much. Uh, losers of the last five. Losers of eight of the last ten. The only team that's colder than the Spurs right now are the openly tanking or just perpetually injured one and nine Golden State Warriors. The only team that's got a worse streak going right now. That's the context for where we are. Ah, this is not good. This is not fun times. And yet we're going to make the case that it's not time to panic. How are we going to do that, Marilyn? Well, there are... Several different ways we can look at this. Yes, the Spurs have gone two and eight in their last 10 games, but there's a pretty good reason to state that they could be five and five, which would have us singing a much different tune. And that would be the much dreaded last two minute report. Okay. All right. So, you know, I don't want to do this. You know, I hate the last two minute report. Mm -hmm. That's probably even putting it mildly. I detest, I abhor the last two-minute report. Even hearing someone quote it usually just makes me livid. And yet, usually people are talking about the last two-minute report because they want to be able to explain how their team should have won, how they deserve to win, all that stuff. You know me. I don't believe in such things as deserved to win. The team that won, won. The team that lost lost. Deserving has nothing to do with it. The team that scored more points won. The team that did enough things so that they actually got the higher score won. All the rest of the stuff you throw absolutely out. But in this circumstance, I think there's enough in this situation, I think there are enough mitigating circumstances to use the L2M for a specific kind of mental recalibration, I think, right? Before we do that, I have to go off on the L2M. 
the last two minute report is honestly, I think, I think everyone would be better off if it didn't exist. Basketball game is a fluid thing. It's impacted by players from both teams, the crowd, the arena setup, the atmosphere, and the refs. But if you change any of those features, the outcome would be different. And hashing out the individual errors from a specific subset of those characteristics that make up the game and 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 to and to determine the outcome of a game from a minute fraction of the overall playing time in the name of transparency, I, I think it's just a ludicrously facile idea. The the focus and the the obsession that the league has with being transparent, I think a lot of times actually undercuts its own ability to promote its product. And yet we have this tool. So tell me how the last two minute report can help to mitigate. This is the mitigate episode of superfluous poppycock so far. Mitigate for me, Marilyn, help me out. If I'm about to, if I'm about to panic here, pull me back from the ledge. Okay. Well, we have three of the last four games, beginning with Tony Parker night on the 11th against the Grizzlies. As we all know, that was another slow Spurs start that had them crawling back in most of the game. And yet they were there. They got a lead, had a chance to take it, got a little behind. With 25 seconds left, DeMar DeRozan is going for a game-tying layup. Gets swiped across the arms and sent to the ground by Jonas Valanciunas. Hip check, and too. Is, and it hip is check. not. Yeah. yeah, and hip check. And it is not called. Grizzlies take it the other way. Spurs have to foul. They get up by four. That's essentially the game. That is the other game. Then two games later on the 15th against the Magic. Although in this case, the last two-minute report doesn't necessarily call anything incorrect. There will always be the very suspicious flagrant foul called on DeMar DeRozan when he was trying to stop an Aaron Gordon layup. Yeah, while they were is, up by one. Yeah, this is pop. Well, while the Spurs were down by one, right? Yeah, while the Magic were up by one, Spurs yeah. down one. Right. So, so this is this is pop talked uh, after the game. He he called Aaron Gordon hitting the court a total show. He said some things would be influenced. Some people would be influenced by that. There's no reason for him to lay down the court like someone just stuck a needle in his eye or something. And and for anyone who missed the game or doesn't remember, Gordon was wallowing on the ground, grabbing his face. And the, there's no way the refs even take a look at this for being a flagrant foul. It's just a normal basketball foul. You wrap up a bigger guy like Gordon to make sure that he doesn't get an and one. And the replays obviously showed that nothing came near his face. And that's what Gordon was, was flailing about on the ground, holding his face. So, all right. So he, he gets into it. The refs check it out for flagrant. They, they view it like 17 times in slow motion and they come out. Okay. Yeah. So it's flagrant. And then that put that game out of reach. What else we got? Well, and I would add on to that, that DeRozan was trying to go for the ball and arms. He, it was he did. a good he, well, hard he, foul to prevent the contact. possible and one. He made contact with the ball. Mm-hmm. 
And then there is the return home the next night against the Portland Trailblazers. When again, it's DeMar DeRozan again, going towards the basket for a layup, gets swiped across the face by Rodney Hood with no call, takes down, I think it was Hood, if not someone else, another Blazers player with him on the way to the basket. And it is called an offensive foul. I think at this point it was Tim Duncan that was head coach asked for a challenge only problem here is teams cannot you cannot you only challenge not no challenge calls. yeah you yeah. cannot challenge no calls and when the refs went to video review they could not look back at the foul that hood committed on DeRozan because that was supposedly before the gather whatever gather means in yeah. this day and age in the NBA so so I have to say at this point swiped across the face is a little bit excessive he was bumped in the nose by his forearm still it's a foul if you can be standing next to a guy and your jersey brushes up against his arm and he's going to get three foul calls three three foul shots like lillard did saturday night against was white it's white standing there with his arm straight up yep yeah, so if you can if you can get those three foul calls, then a getting bumped in the nose by a forearm should be enough, whether the whether the game's right at the end or not. So okay, all of this goes to say we understand, Marilyn, you and I, that the Spurs should have been in this situation anyway, that they had big lead in a couple of these three games, that they didn't take care of business and then it came down to this came down to whether the ref would call us call a foul or not the fact that it all comes down one time after another to demar being on the short end of the stick on all of these is awful but the thing is is the team shouldn't have even put themselves in this position shouldn't have been in this self in this position should have played better defense shouldn't have done a lot of things okay but they're here, and since we're judging the team based on their record, since there are these other issues, we, we, had, we we're taking a look at them. And so this L2M report, you think, says what to us? I think it says there is still reason for hope. The Spurs have gotten the short end of the stick a few times. Maybe they'll start being on the right end, and things will start getting better. They have shown moments of brilliance in every game. The biggest problem is they've their opponent has just been the last one to be good in each game, and they've gotten outplayed down the stretch. They're wasting energy trying to come back from early holes. If they can just play a solid 48 minutes, doesn't even have to be spectacular the whole time, they will be a much better team, and we know they can do that. We saw it last season, and they, you know, Quick reminder, they did have a slow start last season too, but they figured it out. So it's sustaining the moments of brilliance. It's not having the slow starts. And it's capitalizing on leads and pushing them into bigger leads by not get distracted, playing better defense, better communication, all of that. This is what we're expecting the team to be able to do because... Still got the same coach, still got most of the pieces involved. 
and you've got youth getting better that you're relying on more and more. This is the youngest team Pop has ever coached. Any other reasons for us to be optimistic or reasons to pull people back from the ledge that are maybe starting to panic? Well, as previously mentioned, this is about where the Spurs were last season. In fact, they had a pretty no- brutal November last year, too. They had a 3-7 and seven stretch, both in November last season and in February. Still pulled themselves together around that to make it to the playoffs. We know they can do it. They just have to find that proper rhythm and gel with each other and put together a solid 48 minutes and beat the teams they should beat. And there is plenty of time left in the season to be able to put together everything you just said. So if we're going to beef up the case for the Spurs, if we're going to say, man, we really shouldn't be hitting the panic button just yet. Plenty of time for that down the road. Still, there's got to be room for us to gripe. Hmm? What's your biggest gripe so far this season? Well, I would say beyond the just frustrating parts of the game where they get a lead and then relax. That was kind of a problem last season too. Just beyond that, I would just like to see a little more shake up in the lineups. I know pop trusts his vets and I know Marco Bellinelli has did amazing (laughs) things last season. He did in 2014 as well, but at some point you got to give Someone else a chance, whether it's Lonnie Walker, Damari Carroll. I'm starting to think this starting lineup could use a little early infusion of offense, even though offense isn't really the Spurs problem overall. They're still starting too slow. My opinion is Rudy Gay is coming around pretty well. He's starting to get hot. Maybe insert him for my suggestion would be Bryn Forbes. That way you're a little bit taller with more defense in the starting lineup and also creating perhaps some more mismatches. I just think something needs to at least be tried to see if it can kickstart the team a little bit. Marco Bellinelli. Ugh. He's hitting 25.6% of his threes. His overall field goal percentage is 25.3, getting 16 minutes a game. He, he, he hasn't recorded an offensive rebound all season. This is, uh, this, is, this is frustration. And I know that that he's a better player than this, but he's not playing better than this. That's, that's, that's pretty rough. That's pretty rough. I think I think my my biggest pet peeve with the team right now. I don't know if this is a is a pet peeve so much as maybe just a lament. Can I lament? I think I can. Let's see how this goes. The team that tries the hardest wins certain portions of a basketball game. Uh, there are certain effort stats. Rebounding is one of them. Rebounding is about effort it's about will it's about desire is there a science to it yes some guys just have the ability to put themselves in the position from the moment they see the ball 
come off of a shooter's hand and imagine behind them the goal, that complex three-dimensional construct of the rim and the heel and the all of that. They can they can tell where the ball Dennis Rodman was amazing at that. So yes, there's a science to it. Yes, there's an art to it. But it's about will and it's about desire predominantly. As well as rebounding, you got the last few minutes of a clutch game when it's all come down to those last few minutes. And the Spurs are having a very difficult time scoring the ball. That's frustrating to watch. Following the team all of these years, watching the big three pull out game after game, it's just an just beyond joy. Just to be able to depend on that team coming through when it mattered the most. And this team is doing the exact opposite. They're snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. And that's, I think, maybe my my number one frustration with the team this year. Going to take a real quick break for a sponsor. And when we come back, we're going to get to the next level of this conversation about the ledge and hope for the rest of the season. All right. Thanks for sticking with us, guys. Marilyn, you and I are sitting here talking about why we shouldn't be panicking. Is there any other research that you've done? Is there any other thing that we can pull a rabbit out of the hat for anyone that still hasn't bought in to the fact that uh, the Spurs still have a chance to be good this year? Well, in continuing the theme of we have actually been here before, already mentioned they had two three and seven stretches last season, still managed to make the playoffs as a seventh seed, didn't even have to settle for the eighth seed. And um, and you actually don't have to go too far back to find the last time the Spurs had a stretch of two and eight. You just have to go back to February and March of the 2017-18 season. That which, recently. They went two and recently. eight. Mm-hmm. And in, in actually, okay. yeah, and actually if you want to extend that stretch a little further – they went three and eleven before they won six straight later in March and got themselves back on track to eke into the playoffs. And one thing to remember is think about the timing of that. That was when reality was setting in that Kawhi Leonard wasn't coming back. This team was in a rut. They were learning they were gonna have to fight back into this season themse- themselves, and they somehow did it. This current team doesn't have that kind of drama going on. They came into the season very excited to play together, and I believe they still are. And they don't have a lot of drama to fight through to get back on the right foot. They just need to actually do it, which I think they're more than capable of because they did it at least twice, if not more often, last year. Okay. So so we've we've, we've been in this place with pretty much this crew stuck in stuck in park at the beginning of the season but look at this next run of games monday against the mavericks at dallas solid team this year wednesday in dc against the wizards okay not the best team but 
not a knockover for the way the Spurs are currently playing. In Philly against the Sixers on Friday, Philly, one of the best teams in the East this year, so would argue the best. And then you've got Saturday against the Knicks in New York before you come home November the 25th against the Lakers and host LeBron and Anthony Davis. That is a stretch. What kind of optimism do you have for this next five-game stretch? I would say it's not unreasonable to expect them to win two of those. They should beat Washington and New York, although for some reason Madison Square Garden has always been an odd location for them to play. I haven't seen this season's Mavericks yet, but with Kristaps Porzingis and Luka Doncic coming together, they look pretty scary. 76ers, one of the top teams in the league. I give the Spurs a chance against the Lakers at home. They had their chances in that previous matchup, and it was another defeat snatched from the jaws of victory. I would say if they win the two they're supposed to win, which is Washington and New York, they'll be okay. If they do better than that, I will be proud of them. I uh, I wish that I could say that I expected them to win more than two games. I, I don't even know if I can expect those two right now, the way they're playing. This is, this is a show about optimism. So I'm going to go optimistic. I, I I'm going to give them the, the wizards and the Knicks game cross my fingers for, for one of the other three. I'd love to see them come out three, two of these next five, but this is, uh, this is the way that the team is playing right now. It just doesn't inspire confidence. So we're grasping at straws to avoid panic. Uh, Fall a little bit short of actually being able to walk straight into optimism at this point. I need a reason to be optimistic. Marilyn, let's set aside the pet peeve, set aside the frustration. What is the most enjoyable thing that, you, that you're experiencing watching Spurs games right now? I would say it just has to be watching DeJounte Murray being back out there. He has had his struggles in a few games, and there is a bit of a case of as he goes, so go the Spurs going on. But just seeing him unafraid to shoot, to attack the rim, to defend, he's very good at keeping a level head. I mean, he's still young. He'll fall victim to some unusual calls but he doesn't argue about it he gets right back up and keeps fighting I remain very optimistic about his future with the Spurs and I do feel like once he is off of minutes restrictions and we will get some actual combination of DeJounte and Derek White on the floor together and they can that's when the team will really be able to start finding itself and gelling is when they don't have to stick to odd rotations because of his minutes restrictions which I guess I'm bringing in another reason for optimism but a lot of my optimism and enjoyment so far is coming out of DeJounte Murray you said level head I see him making some boneheaded plays I see him getting a little over exuberant and and just going using all of his speed all the time on the fast break instead of measuring himself a little bit and picking his spots I see him losing the ball out of bounds. I see a lot of good stuff, but I'm seeing 
Tell me, tell me what you mean by keeping a level head. Well, he, it is good to see that he is not prone to getting too frustrated from either that stuff or from, like I said, calls. He's, he's not going to be the type of player that commits a frustration foul and gets a technical or something after something doesn't go his way, which is a sign of good leadership, which is something the future Spurs are going to need. All right. Okay. Do you have a number two? Number two. Man, this is difficult. I'm very much enjoying watching Patty Mills. He's putting me in a bit (laughs) of a time warp back to 2014, and he's probably been their most steady player all season, which I love for Patty, but that shouldn't be the case. We need more steadiness from guys like LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan. Strong agree. And uh, Derek White has looked nice, still a little inconsistent. I think sometimes he forgets how good he actually is and gets a little passive. But, you know, he does keep showing those moments of brilliance that keep you definitely optimistic about the future. I think he's got to be my my number one. I'm loving the DeJounte steal, swoop, and score when there's not, you know, butterfingers involved there. That it being the case, I gotta say I'm so enjoying Derek White playing just a really cerebral ball. Takes me back to the the first time his play really popped out. It was in summer league. I love it when I see guys sprinting toward parts of the court, and I I can't tell while they're sprinting why they're sprinting can't see what it is that they have seen and already are going full speed towards until it's happening. That doesn't happen very often. That happened with white. I want to say his rookie season in summer league. I was like, Whoa, look at this kid. Just the fact that he could see something from his point of view that was hidden to my point of view from, from the camera so far away and just the foreshortening and flatten the screen. You sometimes Looks like guys are standing right next to each other. Why didn't he get a hand up? And then you look at their feet, see where they are on the court. It just looks like he's right next to each other. That kind of stuff warps warps the game for us because we're, we're seeing it for, from so far away from that flattening camera. I love it when guys just take off. White's done that. Loved watching him in last year's playoffs. It's unfortunate the way the last couple of games went and, and that tentativeness. I'd love to see him shake it, but Man, when he is dialed in and he's playing with confidence and he's he's running the offense, going through those pick and rolls, his options, it, it really is like he's manipulating chess pieces on a board. He's putting everybody right where he wants them and he delivers that ball. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. I can't wait till we can, can depend on him being able to do that regularly when he's when he's been able to to get that internal database of all of the little permutations that every single defensive scheme can put into play and he can see what's going to happen just from the way that the way that players are positioned and know precisely what the next move is you can tell he's just building that database up i can't wait till we get to that point that's that's my jam right now. And and days when he doesn't have all of that going and he's not quite on his game, it's it I'm, he's still coming up with one or two 
brilliant plays. Like the block that he had on Lillard was insane on Saturday night. Uh, he has he has the ability to to just put himself precisely where he needs to be at just the right time. And, and Lillard doesn't get blocked at the rim very often. So that was, that was just a joy to watch. It definitely was. I'm enjoying watching him a lot. And just when he brings that every minute he's on the floor, every game, it will help bring the Spurs up to another level. Couldn't agree more. What did you think about coach Timmy? I was impressed. He was standing up giving instructions. (laughs) I enjoyed watching that more than another Spurs collapse. We were uh, we were texting about this during the game, right? Tim was so excited he couldn't sit down, he couldn't stay sitting, he couldn't stay in his seat. Uh, that was that was that was a blast. That was a lot of fun. I was really pulling for Becky to to get the to get the tip. Right for her to 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 step into that role and and head coach the game, I was really excited about that happening. I like I'm a huge Timmy fan, so glad that he was able to do it. Just uh, it would have been nice to know that it wasn't wasn't something that was going to happen this season. Pop was asked at the beginning of the season. My guess is that he had already made the decision at that point. Maybe he hadn't, but uh, that was a little that was a little annoying. In, in the game on Saturday because you knew he was going to get thrown out of a game this season. And uh, it happened. And it's Timmy. So what do you think about all that? Well, and considering the first announcement was it was head coach by committee, it wouldn't surprise me if they're going to be on a rotation and maybe the next time Pop gets thrown out, it will be Becky. I, I think part of me knew that Pop was – he didn't want to get accused of getting thrown out on purpose just so he could let Becky make history. And I don't know if that dictated his decision-making or not, but I will be interested to see if this head coach by committee thing continues and next time it's Becky and then maybe Will Hardy will get a chance. Who knows? But I will admit, I thought that when first time he got ejected, it would be Becky Hammond. So it was a little surprising, but it's hard to be mad at Tim Duncan coaching. <laughs> yeah, especially when he's dressing so well, right? Definitely. <laughs> Man, I, I like your point of view on that. Uh, I'd love to be able to still look forward to, to be- Becky getting the head coach nod when Pop is inevitably ejected from another game of the 2019-2020 NBA season. Well, that if is, they keep getting called like the last you have, he just might. Man, it might happen sooner rather than later, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this episode of Superfluous Poppycock, folks. Until next time, keep safe and let it fly. <laughs> <laughs>